Hello, and welcome to a special episode of On Tap, a theater and performance studies podcast. I'm Panel Camp of Washington University in St. Louis. I'm recording in my office at WashU, which is situated on the ancestral land of several indigenous groups, including the Osage Nation, the Miseria Tribe, the Miami people, and the Illini Confederacy. I'd encourage listeners to learn more about the territory where they live, and also please read the land acknowledgement page on our website, ontappod.com, to learn more. I am very happy to introduce my two guests for this special episode. Jazzwinder Blackwell Paul and Shane Boyle are both lecturers in theater and performance studies at Queen Mary University of London. Jazzwinder's research focuses on performance and work with particular attention to theatrical production, emotional labor, and actor training. Shane works on topics that relate Marxist theory to performance, uh, also German performance history. Both are widely published. Uh, I will note that um, both Jazz and Shane are among the co-authors of the fantastic article Marxist Keywords for Performance, which appeared in the December 2021 edition of the Journal for Dramatic Theory and Criticism. Jazz, Shane, welcome to ONTAP. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks, Manuel. Absolutely. Um, I have not invited Jazz and Shane here to talk about their research, however, though I should. Uh, But we are um, releasing this special episode because right now Jazz and Shane are on strike. Members of the UK's University and College Union are striking March 20th, 21st, and 22nd. We're recording this on March 21st, 2023. Um, And this strike action is part of a long-running industrial action in higher education in the UK. Jazz, Shane, I hope you're doing well, uh, feeling strong solidarity and and support from students and colleagues as you're engaged in this action. To start off, I wondered if you might tell us just a bit about what you've been doing for the past two days as part of this. Are you marching, picketing? Uh, What's the scene? What's What's the mood like in London? Um, Yeah, so we have been picketing uh, this morning, yesterday morning, and we'll also be picketing again tomorrow morning. Um, So the mood is good. Our pickets that we've just come from a couple of hours ago, um, you know, were really buoyant and quite large, despite the weather in London being as awful as it usually is around this uh, time of year. Um, So, I mean, every day on a picket line, it's completely different and... um, we usually have events and speakers and visits kind of organized each morning. Today we had, um, for instance, a teach out on 20 years since the invasion of Iraq, which was, you know, really great to have that kind of conversation on the picket line. We then had a visit from our mayor, not the mayor of London, uh, but the mayor of Tower Hamlets, which is the borough of London, uh, which our university is, to show his solidarity with the strike. So again, um, you know, that really lifts the moods as well when we have visits, when we have um, events and speeches and teach outs happening and that brings a crowd as well. Tomorrow we go again and we'll have a different kind of range of events and, and um, speeches and activities happy, happening on the picket line. So every day is different, but we've been having a consistent physical present uh, presence um, during all of the strike days, including last week's strike days and the strike days that took place last month as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And today there are also donuts, very delicious donuts. Yeah, but I mean, oftentimes from the, you know, many days are just like the pickets, but other days include kind of um, meetups with other branches for marches, uh, meetups with other unions. So last week, um, pretty much 
everyone, all public sector, many public sector unions in this country were on strike last Wednesday. So there's a huge meetup um, for a demonstration led by um, the the main teachers union. Um, So there's a lot of different things to do. There's oftentimes people tour the different picket lines, especially in London, go do teach outs, listen to poetry readings, that sort of thing. Um, to Jazz's chagrin, I oftentimes control the playlist at the Queen Mary Picket. Um, so there's lots of Taylor Swift. Excellent. I actually, I mean, this is a side conversation, but I feel like the emotional terrain that, that Taylor Swift navigates is actually quite appropriate for for collective action at times. Um, but maybe that's a debate. I you think, don't need to I get think into. there is some disagreement about that within uh <laughs> Amongst, amongst the picketers, but yeah, maybe that's for another conversation. <laughs> Indeed, um, you know, I, I'm curious to know about the, you know, the the timeline that brought you to this. One of the things I learned in reading was that um, the events that have brought this strike about the one that you're engaged in currently go back all the way to 2017. So that this is really, and this is considered one long industrial action by the UCU, um, and we'll put some articles on the podcast website so that people can um, learn some of that detail. But I wondered if you might share with listeners just the the highlights or the sort of major events um, that have brought this about going back a few years. Yeah, so like you said, the the pension dispute and the four fights, as we're calling them. Um, And we we can talk about the specific issues um, in some detail if you like. Um, But basically, what we're currently on strike um, around pensions and these four fights, and the dispute goes back about five years. Um, so we were first uh, we first took industrial action um, in twenty in the spring of twenty eighteen, and the headline issue for that industrial action was around pensions. So. Um, our, I know that when, once someone starts talking about the retirement benefits, eyes can start glazing over, so I won't go into the details, but basically there was a plan to try to shift our pension from um, a defined benefit. So when we retire, we're guaranteed a particular a baseline, particular sum of money. There was a, an attempt to try to switch that to kind of like letting it ride on the free market. Um, and so thousands of staff at universities across the country um, mobilized and strike in 2018. And we actually won. We actually um, kept that from happening. And we also won in another way in that um, our union at that time um, was fairly lethargic. And there had been a caucus that had been kind of running the union for quite a long time that wasn't super connected to the rank and file um, in the country. And so um, that industrial action was really galvanizing that it brought on board a lot of new members, it activated a lot more people, and it also kind of led to kind of pushing out a particular caucus um, from leadership positions and putting some new rank and file members, um, which is really, really great. The, what's happened since is more complicated, I won't get into that. Um, but so, so we basically won that first dispute. And then, um, of course, as we kind of know, the forces of reaction, you know, do not stay kind of um, content with defeat very long. And so um, very soon after, um, our employers and um, the people who run our pension scheme kind of came back and decided to cut our pensions in a different way. Um, This time by keeping this defined benefit, but essentially cutting 
what we expected to receive upon retirement by 35% while increasing our contributions um, and increasing the contributions of our employers. And so we, in 2019, went back out on strike. And this time we also kind of joined it up with um, um, even more. We, we, we had also been striking around these four fights, which we'll get into in a second, but we really tried to kind of foreground those issues as well, issues around work conditions, casualization, inequality, and also pay. Um, That industrial action lasted the fall of 2019 and into the spring of 2020. Um, And unfortunately, as we kind of know what happened in 2020, um, COVID-19 happened, and that essentially kind of... um, it hit the strike, took away kind of our energy. Um, we had to kind of um, call the action at that time and employers and our pension scheme went ahead with a really, really terrible revaluation of the pension saying that our pension was our pension fund was in debt by $15 billion. And this is a huge pension scheme. I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the country. Um, and of course they value the pension in March of 2020, when the market had completely bottomed out. And so there was lots of critiques of how they're valuing it anyways. And so um, we kind of then had to spend the next year, obviously in lockdown, licking our wounds. And then last spring, we mobilized again, went back out on strike. um, And then we made a little bit of progress last year. And then this year we decided to, I'm not gonna get into the details of how strike ballots work in this country. But basically we were able to, whereas we had had basically um, several dozen, I think Jazz Kretschmer from like 68, maybe 70 universities on strike previously. Um, we actually ended up through a different kind of ballot. We were able to bring on board 150 universities to the industrial action in the fall. Um, so we had three days in the fall and now we're kind of in our, in our fifth week of strike action right now. I mean, one thing I've noted from the recent coverage is that this one of the things that your uh, management has done has been to try to cut your pay now to retroactively, I don't know, uh, punish you or or retaliate for a strike that was happened that happened earlier. Is that is that a fair characterization of what they've done? So that's a yeah, there's a kind of specific um, situation that's emerging at the university that Shane and I work at and a couple of other universities in the country, but it's limited at this stage, um, where there's a, you know, they're they're banking on a kind of legal gray area um, around uh, pay deductions for participation in strike action. So our university uh, has decided uh, to go for a policy of 100% pay deduction um, for basically refusing to reschedule uh, classes which were cancelled due to legal participation in the strike action. So that's the situation we're faced with. At this moment, they haven't uh, done any deductions um, that they are threatening to do so. And so at our institution, we're in a, a particularly kind of vicious relationship with management who are intent on really, uh, you know, bullying staff for taking completely legal and legitimate industrial action. Um, it's important that they're not allowed to get away with that because it would set precedent for other universities who would then attempt to do the same. And at the moment, no university has actually gone through with this threat on a, on a major scale. Um, so that's a, that's a kind of specific situation that we're facing at Queen Mary as well. Shane might want to add to that as well. Yeah, I'll add to that a little bit. So um, 
our management has been particularly draconian, as Jazz was suggesting. And so last spring, um, when the um, strike action during the term wound down um, and the exams came up, um, several dozen universities across the country decided to continue the action, not just kind of canceling classes because we had no more classes to teach, but to go on um, a marketing and assessment boycott, which means that we don't mark exams, we don't mark papers, that sort of thing. Um, and um, whereas a lot of universities locally settled those disputes and kind of um, backed down from the marketing assessment boycott because they won um, local deals on pay and that sort of thing, Queen Mary, what we got was a threat of 100% deduction for taking part in that, not just the days that we were teaching or days that we were contracted, but for every single day um, that we from when we were supposed to start marking. And so Queen Mary, we're a really, really organized branch. We have we typically have hundreds of members coming to meetings, um, and we went ahead with our marketing assessment boycott last summer, um, and um, a little over 100 staff had um, their pay for the summer deducted, I myself included. Um, how they decided on who got deducted still remains entirely unclear because a lot of people who took part didn't get deducted, allegedly, actually I should say allegedly, um, allegedly took part. Um, but so that's that's kind of the situation that we're facing at Queen Mary. And we um, heard today that actually our management has started sending out emails to particular staff members um, that are known to have not made up their classes, threatening them with 100% deductions um, beginning from March 1st until classes are made up. What, how do you interpret this effort on their part? Is it just about, do you think that they want that, that money back in their budget? Or do you think that they're trying to send a message or, or pressure or, or uh, punish people striking? I think it's I think it's really about trying to send a message and trying to crush the union. Um, I think you know they are uh, our institution in particular. There is this real desire to be seen to have beaten the union and to have kind of crushed the branch, um, which of course has the complete opposite effect in that Queen Mary is, as Shane saying, has a really strong union branch and actually it's kind of politically unified the branch to a large degree because when you're facing such a uh, obscene attack. Um, uh, not only on your pay, but also on your fundamental right to strike, that is going to uh, create a, a response from the union. Um, but yeah, I think there's this desire to, to be seen to, to kind of crush the union locally in order to, as I say, set a precedent nationally. Um, and of course, it would be great for universities if they felt that they could get away with 100% pay docs for any staff participating in even one day of strike action um, and a kind of continuous pay uh, docking that would be a massive deterrent on people striking if that was to be a successful strategy so um it's really about you know using this as a as an opportunity to kind of see how far they can get with that policy um which is why it's being met with such uh, a fierce level of resistance and organization on the on the part of branch activists yeah i mean it, yeah it's it's definitely for at least for employers it's not about the money because the sector in um, in, in the country is $40 billion in surplus. Um, and so it's really about kind of, um, at least at Queen Mary, kind of crushing the branch, I think. I'm, I'm curious about the reactions you've had from students. And this is, you know, part of what's interesting for me about this conversation is, you know, I'm, I'm a, in the United States. My whole education has been at private institutions past high school. Um, 
and my job is at a private university. And we have our, our adjunct instructors are unionized, but the term appointed or non-tenure stream faculty are not unionized, have decided not to unionize, and the tenure faculty and tenure stream faculty are not unionized either. When there have been efforts of you know graduate students to unionize, et cetera, et cetera, one of the things that the um, management will say or the university leaders will say is that they'll frame it in terms of your obligations to your students, right? Um, can you, you know, they're, 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 I have, I've been in meetings of faculty where the idea that we, that faculty would, you know, stop grading papers, et cetera, et cetera, um, is, it, you know, would be condemned because it's, you're punishing the students, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, I imagine that when it actually comes to a strike, that dynamic comes to the fore, right? That the 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 students' solidarity, the stu- the extent to which the students buy into this action and are on the side of their their teachers is important. So I'm just curious to hear your experiences of that, having now gone through several years of, of ongoing industrial action. Where are the students at? How do you perceive of that? How do you um, gauge their reactions? Um, I, I don't mind starting um, to answer that question. So I think it's kind of important to kind of slightly historicize what's happened to higher education um, in Britain over the last 10 or so years, um, because uh, the the kind of issues that UCU are dealing with um, and fighting against and the kind of issues facing staff are are connected to a a longer term set of trends within higher education. Um, And that was marked really strongly by the tripling of um, tuition fees, which came about in 2011. So just over a decade ago, Um, the then government tripled the cost of tuition fees from £3,000 a year for students to about £9,000 a year for students. And it remains uh, that way now. And that came about obviously after even the introduction of fees because previously um, higher education had been three in this country Um, so the introduction of £3,000 fees was one thing and then the tripling of that um, was another that uh, change was met with a real high point of student resistance in this country and student organising there were huge protests there were um, really quite violent clashes between students and police and it was a really uh, you know big movement Um, So whilst student organizing has been kind of at a low comparatively to that, there is is a kind of like legacy of that fight around student conditions in that a lot of the people who were involved in that student movement are now the very same generation of people entering academic jobs um, and getting involved in the UCU branch. So there is a, a kind of direct, I think, relationship between what's happened to students over the last 10 years in terms of the increase in their fees and the, the conditions that they're facing as students in this sector and what's happening to staff. And so for us, it's always about drawing those links and making it really clear that the struggle of staff in universities is directly connected to the conditions that students are facing and the worsening conditions that they're facing, not just in terms of fees going up, but um, you know, in terms of rents, uh, you know, lack of uh, money for them, lack of mental health support on campus, um, and all kinds of uh, you know things that students are facing. We have been lucky in terms of the level of student support that we've seen. I think the Soviet official organization of students, the National Union of Students in the country, supports the strikes um, and has done pretty consistently. Uh, you know, throughout this period, a lot of individual student unions at different um, institutions have also voted to kind of support the strikes. Of course, it's always going to be a difficult situation. There are always going to be students who 
um, are worried primarily about the effects on their degree in their education, which is an understandable stance to take. But at the kind of organized level of students in the country, we've seen a lot of support. Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, I mean, I think what Giles was saying, this idea that staff working conditions or student learning conditions is something you hear um, consistently mm -hmm. on the picket line. I think it's super true. Um, I think there's also a sense that, you know, like student experience right now is being hit um, in the kind of immediate term, but kind of we're also looking at the long term. I think also staff going on strike, you know, we're in a really privileged position being in kind of a, you know, fairly, for many of us, for not for many, for some of us, like a fairly secure mm -hmm. profession um, where we're part of a union and we're able to go on strike. I think actually, actually using that privilege and exercising that right to go on strike models a certain way of being in the world to students that I think is super, super important. I also would just add that, I mean, Shane alluded to this earlier when you asked us about how the pickets have been going and what we've been doing. There is a strike wave happening in Britain right now, which is, um, you know, goes far beyond universities. So whilst we've been on strike uh, again and again for quite a number of years, we're now being joined by uh, large sectors, uh, large amounts of public sector workers. So teachers are on strike, nurses are on strike, doctors are going to go on strike, ambulance workers are on strike, railway workers are on strike, postal workers are on strike. Um, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a difference there for how students then perceive industrial action, because for students mm -hmm. who have no lived experience of industrial action, have never seen it, have never had family members who have participated in strikes, of course, for the last couple of years, it's felt like this strange and, and alienating thing that they experience only in their relationship with their lecturers. Um, now, a lot of students will have family members who are on strike. They may be on strike themselves in their um, jobs outside of education. And the, the kind of level of consciousness around industrial action and strikes and the reasons behind that is just much higher than it was even five years ago. And you, you are starting to see the effects of that. Um, there is a general sense now that uh, there is a kind of concerted effort by unions to push back against what's happening in the country mm -hmm. politically and in terms of the economy um, and the what's called the cost of living crisis, um, which mm -hmm. is a, obviously a horrible turn of phrase. Um, mm -hmm. Students have a much greater sense of that and how it's impacting not only us, but everyone. And so there's a, a lot greater sympathy, I think, that comes from seeing that this is part of a broader collective set of actions. Yeah, I, I like to tell my students that uh, their lecturers were doing it before it was cool, uh, going on strike. <laughs> um, and and ju ju just to kind of give a sense of the scale of this broader strike wave. So last, last week, um, we were on strike. Um, my partner who works at the British Library, um, she was also on strike. And my, um, my five-year-old school was they're, the teachers were on strike, so all of us were out. Uh, we couldn't go anywhere because the trains weren't running because train drivers were on strike. Um, just to give you a sense of how things are right now um, in Britain. I think um, last Wednesday was officially the biggest strike day that the country has seen for at least a decade, potentially several decades. Um, so it really is a kind of turning point in that sense. Yeah, I mean, didn't I did I read that there's something like seventy thousand participants in just the UCU action? Is that right? And and encompassing um, branches at one hundred and fifty different universities across the UK. That's a massive action. I mean, again, I'm speaking from the American perspective, where even you know being organized to 
bring things to a strike seems like a <laughs> distant reality sometimes, but that's a really impressive display of, of solidarity and collective action. Um, I, I want to ask, I mean, we're, you know, the podcast is, is focused on theater and performance studies. There, there may not be a, a, a specific answer to this because I understand that this is about a, a, an industrial sector. It's about pensions, compensation, working conditions in general. One of the things that I've seen in the context of organizing higher education uh, workforces in, in my own university is that in different disciplines and areas, you get variable levels of support and interest, right? The, some of the graduate students here who are in the sciences who, per, who actually get paid more and, and who are perceived as, I think, or who perceive their long-term employment um, uh, uh, chances as being positive are less inclined to unionize, et cetera. Um, I also understand that there have been there's been restructuring and and pressure and, and threats or actions to actually shut down or m- reduce the size of some areas of study. I know that there's a controversial restructuring plan at Birkbeck. Um, do you feel as though your colleagues in the arts and the humanities? Um, versus other areas have different perspectives on the on this and is the are the sort of structural changes or changes to levels of support for different areas of study being discussed or at issue in this action at all so i was actually at birkbeck before i was at queen mary so i have quite a lot of knowledge of that institution which as you say has faced has faced you know the threat of really brutal uh, cuts and redundancies um i think even though this is a, a national dispute and you know we are in kind of national pay bargaining and the uss is a, is a broad pension scheme so these issues are uh, about the kind of sector wide rather than um focused on specific sectors or specific disciplines or specific institutions even. Um, People working in the arts and humanities are obviously uh, more a threat than their colleagues in a lot of other disciplines. Um, And what we are seeing is attempts to close down or threaten a lot of departments that are offering those kind of subjects. And the institutions that tend to specialize in those subjects are the ones who have been um, the hardest hit by cuts um, by redundancies um, and by quite uh, brutal measures. So Goldsmiths College is another example of an institution that has faced a really quite uh, vicious restructuring process. Um, and that is an institution that's famous for being a very well-known art college and specializing in a kind of arts and humanity provision. So again, that is tied to uh, political decisions that have been made about the funding of higher education in this country that go back uh, at least a decade, if not more. Um, and it's about the kind of uh, funding model, which is now re- reliant on these sh- tripling of student fees, but also we're seeing kind of cuts to government funding accordingly. Um, and of course, disciplines like ours are the ones that are, are kind of suffering um, most from that and are not kind of prioritized, do not see uh, funding and investment put into them, and where jobs are often the first ones that are at risk. So there is, uh, you know, there is a, a different level of threat, I guess, felt um, by those of us working in certain in certain areas. Yeah, and strike participation, as you can imagine, is uneven across universities, uneven within universities, and also uneven within departments. And without going into too much detail, I think that this, at least within um, the field of drama, um, there is some kind of discussion going on among colleagues about, you know, is this the time for us to really kind of make ourselves even more visible by being active and taking part 
um, in these industrial actions? Or is this a time for us to kind of really like um, just stay teaching our classes, uh, toe the line, that sort of thing, kind of wait for kind of these threats to the discipline to pass. I mean, I think Jazz and I are in agreement that actually, no, the time right now is for us to make links with other, with colleagues in other departments, other schools, to make use of our legal right, to take industrial action, to um, become even more active um, in the collective work that is required to sustain and run um, a union that's willing to fight and ready to fight. In the coverage that I've read, um, you forwarded me a, a fantastic article in The Guardian by Tanzel Chowdhury, um, who's a PhD in law, who talks about um, his experience in the um, University of London system and why he's on strike. And the things that UK faculty are facing are the same things that we're facing here, reductions in real pay. We don't have the sort of you know, managed pension system. We have 401ks here, but as inflation has gone up, our raises have not gone up, but um, people aren't talking about it here. Um, the, the, you know, the conversations that happen about our working conditions and compensation are generally, you know, small groups, one-to-one. Um, so it's inspiring to see the, the solidarity that you can have with your colleagues, with each other around these issues. But it does make me wonder about what the what might happen in the U.S. or what the this action has as lessons for people in higher education in the, in the United States, where labor is less organized um, uh, going forward. Shane, you know, your training was at UC Berkeley. I know that you've you've had some experience um, with organizing in in that context, or you know something about the efforts to organize. Um, graduate students, faculty, people doing the work of the university in the U.S. What has your experience in this ongoing action demonstrated to you about the value of being organized within a higher education context? Yeah. Um, So I was fortunate enough um, while doing my PhD at Berkeley to be involved in UAW 2865, which is the um, union that represents academic student employees um, at the UC system. So all, all the campuses in California um, and as a head steward in the union. And so, I mean, one thing I learned from that experience was um, how exciting it is to actually, um, alongside your academic work, to be able to collaborate with colleagues and other researchers in other ways, a, a way to kind of get to know people in other departments and schools and disciplines, um, to be able to get to know the place that you work a little bit more um, to get to know how things work and how they don't, um, uh, how decisions are made, all of that. And that those sorts of kind of things that I experienced and learned as a graduate student at Berkeley really kind of remain true here in, in, in England. And I think that's one thing that I would take away is that academic research and um, labor organizing should and could go hand in hand. Um, in in the U.S., I mean, it's a really exciting time, actually. I think for um, academic workers, um, you have not just kind of um, unionization efforts among graduate students, not just at public universities, but now increasingly at private universities, um, at Tufts, NYU, Harvard. I can go on and on. Kind of the really successful unionization drives that are happening, but also among um, tenured faculty. So one of the most exciting things I think going on right now in the United States um, 
at least in academia, is kind of the um, efforts at Rutgers, for instance. So you have the, uh, where tenured faculty are already unionized, but they have joined up with 19 other unions representing kind of dining staff, custodians, et cetera, and have created kind of their own solidarity union to work together. And I think that is super, super important. That's something here in the UK, you know, we, we don't have as much experience doing in terms of linking formally up with other unions, but it is something that we are trying to do more and more. So actually, even though those of us here in Britain seem really, really well organized, I think that there's a lot that we have a lot to learn from academic struggles in the US. And I would just add to that, um, you know, the kind of uh, graduate student organizing that we've seen in the US is really inspiring for, for those of us here as well. Um, we have a slightly different situation in that we're all part of the same union. So whether you are a PhD student working, uh, you know, and teaching as part of your studies or whether you're a professor, you're all in the UCU. Um, so we don't have a kind of separate uh, organization, although, of course, we have like separate committees and, and kind of groups within the union to focus on um, issues around kind of casualization and graduate student uh, labor and stuff like that. Um, fighting uh, uh, fighting for better conditions for postgraduates and PhD students, but also the kind of use of casualized contracts within um, academia in general is a big part of the struggle right now. And it's one of the four fights issues, which makes up the kind of second arm of our current um, set of disputes. So for us, looking to campuses in the US and um, the the kind of massive uh, amount of organization that's happened um, around PhD students and, and graduate students labor is really inspiring because that's something that we are desperately trying to win on um, and really trying to kind of strengthen our organization in those specific areas. Is the Does the UCU encompass um, non-teaching university workers? And so when you speak of staff, does that does, that includes what you know we would call professors and um, administrators, et cetera? Yeah, so it includes um, professional services staff um, above a, a certain grade. Um, so a lot of people in UCU, yeah, are not academic staff, they're not teaching staff, but they um, are likely to be administrators or support staff, etc. We, of course, have other unions on campus as well who represent other groups of workers. So, for example, Unison um, is a big union uh, that represents a lot of kind of cleaning and security and library staff working in universities. Um, and they are trying, we are trying as much as possible to kind of coordinate strike action with them um, because they're also, uh, you know, part of the kind of pay offer that we're facing um, includes those staff as well. So there is some coordination, but mm -hmm. as Shane says, that's kind of limited. And we also have very restrictive trade union laws here, which make a level of kind of cooperation and coordination between different trade unions quite difficult because of the, the quite restricted nature of, um, of, the, of the trade union laws. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, given the restrictions on trade union laws, I, for the past few years, I've been, I think a lot of us have also been kind of um, looking at what's been going on in California, both with um, graduate students and also now tenure line tenure stream staff um, who've been kind of taking various wildcat actions, taking uh, marketing assessment boycotts. They don't have the same kinds of union protections, but also don't have the same type of restraints. So I actually think that 
<clears throat> there's a lot of really exciting things that are happening um, in the U.S. And I think we're just kind of starting to see the beginning of it. I mean, the fact that the MLA this past year um, had as their theme work conditions and uh, Chris Newfield is one of kind of the founders of Critical University Studies is now running the MLA is extremely exciting um, and really, really important. I think it really kind of shows that there's um, something of a sea change in the way that um, academics relate to their work is not just kind of a professional calling, but actually a workplace um, and mm -hmm. something that needs to be um, politicized as such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I always think of the, per, you know, the sort of personality that gravitates toward a university career being rather individualized. You know, the work that you do is frequently your own. You're, you design your classes, you design your research project, you spend a lot of time alone in archives and writing. And there are all sorts of forces that lead workers in various sectors to feel like little individuals who don't necessarily have common cause with others. But the, the recent, you know, the, the, the changes in people's working and living conditions the um, success of some of these efforts to unionize people at American universities where it would seem to be difficult is exciting. And, you know, it's, it's reading the coverage of this, of the action that you're involved in. I was like, oh, wow, there's a unified, you know, university union. That's great. Like you would, you, anyone, I suppose anyone can join or um, people with a, you know, a certain level of employment can, can join this across the sector. There's also something exciting about the UAW and the AFL-CIO uh, participating in organizing graduate students and, and academic workers, because to me it suggests, and maybe this is too abstract and not really grounded in the realities of organizing, but to me it suggests the potential for general strike capacity, which I really think is, you know, personally one of the only or, or via, you know, most viable paths to working class power if people can link and coordinate across different sectors and, and you know, find ways and exercise those um, uh, those links, those abilities to coordinate, then I think it promises a better future for everybody. Um, so there's a lot to discuss about what, <laughs> what the potentials and, and challenges are for unionizing in general in the United States. But um, it's, it's interesting to see auto workers, AFL-CIO, getting involved in those union efforts. And as you said, Shane, for tenure stream or tenured faculty whom we, you know, have better working conditions than term appointed um, faculty, than certainly than graduate students, there, there, there can be a dissonance, a feeling that, well, why should I organize when I have it so much better than others? And then you see your real pay dropping and you see, you know, the, the continual efforts to squeeze more and more out of you. Um, it makes sense to, to unionize if you work for a university period. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's especially important for grad students right now because they're in the U.S. where there's, you know, increasing numbers of like efforts at unionizing that, you know, there are there's such a big difference between um, the stipends and the uh, work conditions that graduate students have at different universities in the U.S. And I know that there have been, I'm not going to name particular universities or people that I've been speaking with, but, you know, I know that in some places, some universities where unionization efforts are starting to get off the ground, there's some conversation of like, actually, as graduate students here at this particular private university in a place that I'm not going to name, you have things pretty well compared to, say, those graduate students at that public university on the other side of the country. Um, why would you 
go on strike. And I mean, I, I think the question isn't like, um, what's, what, why should you go on strike? It should be like, why should not strike? Sorry, why why shouldn't you unionize? But like, why shouldn't you? Like, you should unionize. There's no question about that. There's nothing to be really lost in that. Um, in terms of both developing um, relationships with colleagues and other disciplines with re- developing relations with um, each other in your own field, but also in just kind of strengthening your own um, position and making, having more control over your work conditions, your students' learning conditions. That's extremely important. Yeah. And I think also, you know, strengthening a, a kind of ethos of like collectivity and, and working um, collectively and kind of defending each other as well as ourselves is um some goes some way to kind of combating some of those kind of like individualizing tendencies that you talked about, which are quite like deeply embedded in the structures of academic work and and, and academic labor. Um, one of the, you know, good things about um, our strike action, which, you know, being in a union altogether, of course, brings like tensions and difficulties, but it's been really great to see that staff are striking for each other not just for themselves so the fact that we're out on strike over pensions and that strike has often had really like militant support and organization coming from um phd students postgraduates and casualized workers who are not even in the pension scheme that have been out on strike for you know years and years um standing in cold rainy pickets in uh, miserable english weather um for you know months on end to fight for a pension scheme which they themselves are not part of and equally you know we have professors and senior lecturers who are striking for uh, better working conditions for people who don't have full-time or secure contracts or employment so um a kind of you know uh realization that we we have to fight for each other and that's the only way things are going to get better for all of us so um to wrap up i'm wondering what there what um listeners to the podcast in you in the uk or in the united states or canada where most of our listeners are what can we do to support this um this action you can donate to the UCU Strike Fund, which would be a really great material way of helping us. Um, of course, people lose their pay during industrial action. We are potentially going into a um, nationwide marking boycott in the summer, depending on how our uh, kind of current uh, reballoting um, process goes, and that will be financially really um, difficult for for you know for members to sustain that. Um, so we do need money uh, to help uh, to help kind of sustain that strike, especially for the most um, for the members who who uh, have the kind of least um, pay and least security in their working conditions. So donations are always welcome. You can donate to the National UCU Fighting Fund. It's called the UCU Fighting Fund. Um, you can also donate to individual branches. Um, uh, who might kind of need more funds than others uh, to support their members. So that's also encouraged if you have connections to a particular university um, in Britain, it would be great if you got into contact with their UCU branch and made a donation to their strike fund. Um, and messages of solidarity and support are also, you know, really, really welcome. Um, it really helps to kind of lift people's spirits, especially to feel that support internationally um, from, you know, colleagues uh, working in the US. Um, and also just kind of, you you know, sharing experiences um, and, uh, you know, facilitating more kind of connections and discussions about organizing drives that are happening in the U.S. and on campuses in the U.S. as well so that we can learn from each other and start to share some of those experiences to, to help support each other's struggles. Yeah, I think I would just add that there's, 
in addition to kind of supporting us materially, I think, you know, it's really, really important that um, colleagues at other universities in other countries observe picket lines that are being um, that, that, that are in effect in the UK. So if you're invited to give a talk at the UK university, I highly recommend you just double check to make sure that that university um, isn't on strike um, or isn't or doesn't have some other kind of boycott in effect. Um, that's really, really important. Fantastic. Um, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate these suggestions. And um, Jazz and Shane, I want to thank you so much. This has been so informative, uh, such an interesting conversation. Um, You've got one more day of strike ahead of you tomorrow. So good luck with that. And and of course, an ongoing ongoing challenge and and ongoing fight. But I I have the sense you're you're going to win. So um, good luck and solidarity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. ONTAP is produced and engineered by Charles Ketchaba. It's supported by the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University in Canada and its Department of Theatre with undergraduate and graduate programs in theatre performance, production and design, and performance studies. You can find more episodes of the podcast and other information on this and other shows at ontappod.com. That's O-N-T-A-P-P-O-D.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's great if you subscribe, and we always appreciate listener comments and reviews. You can email us at hosts at ontappod.com, or find us on Facebook by searching ONTAP, and on Twitter at ONTAP Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>